for listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. Our mission is to cultivate a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at cornerstonetulsa.org or find us on social media. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching. Take a deep breath. Maybe close your eyes or follow along. Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in splendor and the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Everyone can be seated. I have one resident that barely opened her eyes. She didn't respond. As much as I tried, I knew her for two years. No matter what I tried, massage wouldn't work, nothing worked. But when we got introduced to the iPods and the family told me the things that she liked, it was amazing once we put the iPod on her. She started shaking her feet. She started moving her, her head. Her son was just amazed. Okay, can we stop? Because now I'm getting no aura. <laughs> I'm seeing her all over again. been in the nursing home uh, approximately 10 years. He was having seizures and my mother couldn't handle him at home. Of course it affected me greatly because he was always, you know, fun loving, singing, you know, every occasion he would come out with a song, no matter where he was. I remember as a child, he used to walk us down the street, me and my brother, and he would stop and do singing in the rain. He would have us jumping and swinging around poles. He was, you know, he was good. He was always into music, you know, always loved singing, dancing. His name is Henry Drea. Uh-huh. And I'm looking more or less for religious music for him. Okay. Because he enjoys music and he always quotes in the Bible. So I'd rather have that for him. We first see Henry inert, maybe depressed, unresponsive, and almost unalive. 
Yeah. Henry. Yes, Joe. I found your music. Uh -huh. You want you want your music now? Well, not me. You okay. me. Let's try your music, okay? And then you tell me if it's too loud or not. Then he is given an iPod containing, we know, his favorite music. Mm -hmm. He, he lights up, his face assumes expression, his eyes open wide, he, uh, he starts to, um, to sing and to rock and to move his arms and he's being animated by the music. And he used to always sit on the unit with his head like this. He didn't really talk to much people and then when I introduced the music to him, this is his, his reaction every since. <laughs> Philosopher Kant once called music the quickening art, and Henry is being quickened, he's being brought to life. Yeah. I'm going to take the music for one second, okay? Just huh? to ask you a few questions. Okay? Thank you. I'm going to give it back to you. Uh huh. Okay. The effect of this doesn't stop, because when the, uh, the headphones are taken off, uh, Henry, normally mute and virtually unable to answer the simplest yes or no questions, is quite voluble. Henry. Yeah. Um, do you like the iPod? Do you like the music you're hearing? Yes. Tell me about your music. Well, I don't, I don't, don't, I don't have one. I mean, do you like music? Yeah, I'm crazy about music. You play beautiful music, beautiful sound. Did beautiful. you? Did you play music when you were? Uh, were you? Did you like music when you were young? Yes, yes. I went to big dances and things. What was your favorite music when you were young? Well, well I guess, uh, well, Cab Calloway was my number one band guy. I liked it. They did the it, the holly, the hilly, the holly, the milly, the holly, the ah. What's your favorite favorite Cab Calloway song? Oh, I'll be home before Christmas. You. Planned on me with plenty of snow, mistletoe, present wrap round you tree. Ow! So, in some sense, Henry is restored to himself. He has uh, uh, remembered uh, who he is, and uh, he's he's reacquired his his identity for a while through the power of music. What, what does music do do to you? Give me the feeling of love, no, no matter. Figure right now, the world needs to come into music, singing. You got beautiful music here, beautiful, oh lovely, and uh, I feel the band of love, the dream. The Lord came to me, made me holy. I'm a holy man, so He gave me this sound. I'll just say, I meet you. With this beautiful new technology, you can have all the music which is significant for you in something as big as a matchbox or, or whatever. And I think this, this, this may be very, very important in uh, helping to animate, organize, uh, and uh, bring a sense of identity 
back to people who are, who are out of it. Otherwise, music will bring them back into it, into their own personhood, their own memories, their own autobiographies. Isn't that so cool? <laughs> I mean, I cried every time I saw it. Well, uh, today's September 5th, and uh, I knew that this weekend, Labor Day weekend, was going to be an in-between weekend for sermon series. So this summer we studied the book of Philippians, which I really enjoyed. Next week we're going to start studying together the Apostles' Creed through most of the fall leading up to Advent. And as I was thinking and praying about what do we do with this Sunday where some people may be out and it's kind of in between, I don't want to start something new, what on earth do we do? And so I prayed and I thought, and there was one topic that I don't think in 10 years of preaching that I've ever spoken about publicly and something that I think is actually vital to the mission of our church. And it's singing. It's, it's singing together. Music has been a really part of, a big part of my life, especially church music. I took piano lessons as a kid, and then in middle school, I started learning to play the guitar. In the seventh grade, I took my guitar to uh, the youth band at my church, and they let me plug in so that I had the appearance of being a vital member of the band, but the chord led nowhere. <laughs> and so for a couple of years, just strumming along in the background, nobody can hear me, thank God, because I don't know what I'm doing. And then at Metro Christian, I enrolled in praise and worship class my sophomore year. And uh, I, play, I had this green Washburn acoustic electric guitar. It was great. And uh, uh, Mr. Blunt was the teacher. And all of the decent singers were going to be out of town, one chapel. And I never sung in front of people before. And Phil said, John, will you lead? And I didn't know better. So I said, sure. And so I started leading regularly in chapel and leading at children's church and middle school and high school at my church. And sometimes in high school, I'd lead five or six times a week. It was a really big part of my identity. I thought it was going to be something I would do vocationally. But cool things happen when people sing together. Uh, when I'm rocking a kid to sleep, the first songs that come to mind are, are some of the songs that I learned in childhood or some of the songs that we sang in church uh, in childhood. And so for me, my own story, but also knowing like, the role that music plays in a community, I thought, as we were starting our church, we really need to get the music right. Now, not just the music up here right, but the music that we make together. We need to get the, the heart and the practice of that right as a community. I love how Oliver Sacks, I don't know if you caught it in that video, said, music can animate organize and bring a sense of identity back to people who are out of it otherwise. Music will bring them back into their own personhood. It's not just a frivolity or an added extra in life. The things that it can do, animate, to, to give life to something, organize, help make life decipherable and understandable, and even bring a sense of identity to people who have wandered away. In the 18th century, uh, John and Charles Wesley, these brothers, wanted to help revitalize the Church of England. And, and one of the hallmarks of their movement was the way that the people sang together. Charles Wesley wrote thousands upon thousands of hymns to tunes that people often already recognized. And then John coached the people in how to sing the songs together. And so uh, in a preface to the, the United Methodist Book of Hymns, John Wesley wrote some rules for singing. 
and I'm going to share some of them right now. Rules for singing. First, learn these tunes before you learn any others. Afterwards, learn as many as you may please. In other words, let the first songs that are playing on, on in your heart be these ones, the tunes and the words, because they'll do something to you. So take in all the music you want, but start here, which I think is really cool advice. Uh, some of you who may be unfamiliar with some of the songs that we sing, um, make a playlist of the songs that you hear. If you don't know how to make a playlist, find a young person and let them do it for you. They said, first, learn these tunes before you learn any others. Next, he said, sing all, not all the songs, all y'all. Everyone sing and see that you join with the congregation as frequently as you can. Singing should be a vibrant part of your life. This is my favorite. Sing lustily. Sing lustily and with a good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep. Singing about the greatest thing that's ever happened in human history. He says, sing lustily and with courage and don't be half dead. Above all, he says, sing spiritually. Sing, sing cognizant that you're in the presence of God. Sing spiritually. Have an eye to God in every word you sing. Aim at pleasing Him more than yourself or any other creature. In order to do this, attend strictly to the sense of what you sing. Well, I got one more list at the very end, so you got a couple minutes. Appreciate the cue there. One more. So, um, you know, it's very easy to lose your attention uh, singing and being with a bunch of people because people are coming in and kids are up and down and crawling over the pews. You need to go to the bathroom and you thought about like, okay, did I start the dishwasher? One of the things that I like that is helpful for me to do in singing with groups of people, especially in a room like this, to focus my attention is to put my eyes on the cross. Our attention, or uh, what is it, our affection, our devotion poured out on the feet of Jesus. The one to whom we're singing is the one who was on the cross for us. The one who washed the disciples' feet, who fed the 5,000, who healed. We sing spiritually, we sing aware of the one to whom we sing. Why would the Wesleys have such an emphasis on singing? Well, uh, Augustine of Hippo said, He who sings prays twice. He who sings prays twice. And in singing, uh, the beliefs of the head and the affections of the heart are shaped and unified and emboldened. He who sings prays twice. The, the thoughts of our head, the truths we can be or we're beginning to understand about God and the affections of our heart come together and they're quickened and they're strengthened and they're unified. He who sings prays twice. And when singing is corporate, it has an additional effect. It can have that same animi animating and organizing power that can actually shape our identity as part of a bigger community. And thus we see the brilliance of, of the Wesleys. They sang their way into a revitalizing movement. They sang truths which won over the intellect, but they, but they sang them and also won over their hearts. They changed the world through song. I'll never forget um, when I was graduating from Asbury Theological Seminary, I did most of my study at a distance, and I did went to campus 13 or 14 times, but it's important to me to go to graduation. And so Emily and I went to beautiful Wilmore, Kentucky, and we went to chapel, and there were maybe 150 people at this optional graduation chapel. And I will never forget how they sang. 
You know, I was working at the time in a large church. I've been in lots of large churches before, but no large church has I've ever, have I ever heard them sing louder than I heard those 150 people singing. They were singing lustily. They were just singing their guts out, and it kind of makes your hair stand on end because it was so powerful to be a part of. At the time, our church was just a dream, something that I hoped might happen and didn't know would happen, but as our church has gotten going in the last couple of years, one of the core longings of my heart has persevered in being, I long for our church to sing together like that, to push back the darkness through song, to win over our minds that they be, would be renewed according to the knowledge of the Creator and also win over our hearts and the hearts of our children as we sing together. Repeatedly in Scripture, we're instructed to sing. Most of the Psalms begin with this preface, for the director of music, here's a good tune to use for this song. It presumes corporate and personal singing. Uh, again, Psalm 96, sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord a new song. Through music, ascribe to the Lord. Give God credit for all the wonderful things that God has done. For great is the Lord and most worthy to be praised. If ever there was a topic worthy of new songs and fresh songs and songs sung lustily, it would be our Creator. Music is woven into the fabric of creation. Little kids unreflexively sing little songs and little tunes. If you'll look at just the typeset of Genesis 1 versus Genesis 2, Genesis 2 is more prosaic, whereas Genesis 1 is like a poem. It has poetic or musical beauty to it. Uh, lots of authors have picked up on this theme of the music being intrinsic to the creation of the world. Some of you can already guess where I'm going. Lewis picks up on this in The Magician's Nephew as his Aslan creature sings Narnia into existence. I don't know if you've heard of J.R.R. Tolkien, who recently <laughs> celebrated his anniversary of death, but J.R.R. Tolkien, in his, uh, his book, The Silmarillion, talks about his god character, Iluvatar, uh, conducting this orchestra, like singing and, and making music, and it's the music is the means by which all of creation comes into existence. Music is at the very fabric of our existence. Uh, the very first corporate song in the Bible we see in Exodus chapter 15, after the people of Israel have just walked through the Red Sea on dry ground and their enemies have perished behind them, and there Miriam teaches them a new song. Both horse and rider, he is thrown into the sea, and the people sing together. Singing is the first act of their new identity as a people that God has rescued. Singing was the appropriate response for having been redeemed and saved and passed out of, out of slavery and out through the waters. Singing was the logical thing for them to do together. Jesus and the disciples, I don't know if you've ever noticed this in the Gospels, Jesus and the disciples sing a hymn together at the Last Supper. Uh, uh, Jesus, or uh, uh, Paul and Silas, when they're imprisoned, sing together and then their shackles fall off. Uh, John, in the book of Revelation, envisions the company of heaven in constant music and then envisions all of creation, people of every tribe and tongue, language and nation singing together around the throne with the 24 elders, the four living creatures. What does that even mean? But from creation to new creation, all of the world is bathed in song. 
Music itself, even without words, is a gift of God. Do you remember in uh, the Samuels when uh, Saul has this horrible temper? I don't know if he had migraines. It said it was an attack of the enemy. Uh, the, the evil one would come upon him, but, but David would play his harp. And just at the playing of his harp, there would be a lightness in the room. Music was a gift of God. God invented it. Singing is more powerful than we realize. This guy, Brian Wren, wrote a book talking about the the quote by Augustine of Hippo, that he who sings prays twice. It talked about some characteristics or hallmarks of um, uh, corporate or congregational singing. The first one he said was, it's corporate. So congregational singing is corporate. Uh, What that means is it, it brings people together. So you may have driven here with just your family or by yourself, but when you come in these pews and we sing these songs together, we are no longer individuals, we are a group. You belong to something bigger than yourself. Brian Wren said, in in singing together, we agree not to be soloists or self-absorbed competitors, but to compromise with each other, to join our voices as if joining hands. For a congregation, its singing, its corporate song makes a theological statement. We are the body of Christ. By singing, it's saying, I'm part of this. I'm a part of this group trying to row in this direction. I'm not going to be an individual performer or a a lone wolf in my walk with Christ. I'm a part of something bigger. The second thing he said about congregational singing is that it's corporeal meaning it has to do with your body. I am as white as they come. I hate dancing so much. I just really, really, really do. It's like I'm a fairly confident person socially until there's a dance floor. And I'm like, so Emily, like, should we go? I mean, like, the kids are probably getting tired. I hate dancing. And yet when there is music on, like especially live music, or if I get to play an instrument with a group of people, like I can't help but move. Now, it's not like pretty movement, but I can't help but move. And I love watching the collective sway of a group of people, you know, when there's music on. I think that worship and singing with other people naturally evokes a bodily response. And so, like, like, I don't know if you all need permission or if we need to give each other permission or encouragement to worship with our bodies, but we should. It, it's totally okay to lift your hands. Like, sometimes you just need to, like, clap. <laughs> sometimes you need to kneel down. Sometimes you need to, like, like uh, respond in some way with your body, and that's okay. Actually, for many of you, something powerful may happen in embracing the vulnerability of engaging with your body. Like, you, you, we need increasing levels of challenge to flourish in life in many ways, and even in worship. Uh, we're instructed to engage our body. The New Testament talks about lifting hands as a sign that we're not fighting with each other. Uh, in the, the primitive church, they, they lifted their hands, they clapped, they did violence on heaven, one source said, in the way that they engaged their bodies through corporate song. It's corporeal. It's meant to be a bodily experience. Another thing that Brian Wren said is that worship in this way is inclusive. So whether you're a man or you're a woman, whether you're young or whether you're old, like pretty much everyone can make some kind of tonal response to music. If you can imitate a siren, ooh, ooh, like you can like you can change your pitch. 
may not be quite in the range that we want it to be or would prefer, uh, but, but everyone can do it. Everyone can make a joyful song. Even I loved in the video, before we knew what he was listening to, her, you could hear him, you could see him moving, you could hear the tones that he was making with his voice. Another thing we know about congregational singing from Brian Wren is that it's creedal. Uh, singing together, especially if we have good song selection, uh, helps us express our beliefs about God in a self-committing way. We're singing these things about God in a way that like, like we're, we're buying into it ourselves. The fifth thing Brian Wren said is that it's ecclesial. In other words, ecclesial has to do with the church. It's saying this is what we long to be or are striving to be together as the church. Like uh, many times you've perhaps had the experience where you're singing something that you know doesn't presently reflect your heart or isn't presently the experience of the local church. We're singing it into reality. This is who God has called us to be. This is who we're aspiring to be. The sixth thing Brian Wren said is that it's inspirational. Singing congregationally lifts us out of the mundane and the ordinary, and when we're touched by truth, remember, he who sings prays twice, it does something to our brain and to our heart. When we're touched by truth, it can set our hearts aflame. William Cowper wrote in a poem, he said, Sometimes the light surprises the Christian while he sings. It is the Lord who rises with healing in his wings. I love and long for those moments when hot tears run down my face when we sing together. I wish I could cry more. I just don't. And our bodies need that release. And those are sweet tears when they come. Let them flow freely. Uh, Andrew Peterson wrote a song about a season of depression. Ben introduced it to me, and I cried then, and I've cried every time I've listened to it since. It's called Shine Your Light. And he talks about uh, being sick and actually coming to Oklahoma City for a concert. He said, they flew us down to Oklahoma City, and I could hardly stand there on the stage. So sick I couldn't speak, and the fever wouldn't break. But when I stepped up to the microphone, I heard it. It was the voices of the brothers, my brothers at my side. They were singing out my songs when the song in me had died. Sometimes you don't have the faith to sing. You don't have the energy to sing. And you hear the choir of our church singing these words, and it just pierces your heart with beauty. Singing out my songs when the song of me had died, it can inspire you. And then the final thing that Wren said, interestingly, is that this kind of congregational singing can be evangelical. And when congregational singing is healthy, it can win not only over our own hearts and minds, but actually the hearts and minds of people who are outside of the family of God. It can strike their hearts with wonder at the unity and the love of the church. Now, our singing together is, is no trifling matter. It's really important to me. And yet we often don't give singing the attention it deserves, or we let our own personalities be the cop-out for our lack of participation in singing. Some of us don't sing because, quite simply, you don't know the words. Valid excuse. Some of us don't sing because we don't like to. Some of us because we don't want to. Some of us, we don't like our voice. Uh, some of us want to sing, but we hold back. Um, Emily Odom is this way. 
Emily Odom, her heart is so full of love for Jesus, like, like she wants us to be all in together, and she dials back just a little bit to not be like that crazy person. But some of you may want to really sing out, but you don't want to be the, the only person. Some of us take ourselves just way too seriously. You are going to sing out Boomer sooner at the top of your guts, but in church, like, you just, like, get stuffy. Take yourself way too seriously. You don't want to appear undignified in any way. And some of us are just too grown up for our own good. Now, I wanted kids to be in the room because kids often don't have this problem. I know because I've driven around and heard let it go like so many times that it hurts my whole being. <laughs> but kids often don't have difficulty singing out. And kids, if I could have an, a request of you, I would ask you to please set an example for the adults in singing loudly. If you want to, well, do this. When you come, tell your parents that you want to sit at the very front and the center. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> if kids ever want to sit on the very front row, as long as you're not like, like doing spitballs at each other, if you'll sit up like, like front and center and sing out and lift your hands and clap, you are going to change our church. It makes me want to cry. So kids, please, please, we are old. <laughs> we are crotchety. We get in mad, bad moods easily. We need you to help draw out our young hearts. And it's going to happen if you'll help us learn to sing. We, we desperately, desperately need your help. Teach us how to sing. Set an example for us. I long for us to be a church that's characterized by how we sing together. That someone would visit, like, oh, but the singing, I didn't agree with what they sang about. Oh, but the singing made me want to be a part of it. And so I want to offer you, these are John Odom's seven encouragements for singing the people of Cornerstone. The first is sing loudly. So you're comfortable singing at, 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 right here. Add 30%. If we all do it, it'll be way more palatable. Add 30%. How great is our God, serious how great is our God, sing with me, how great. See, my pitch was a little bit like this, too. <laughs> sing loudly. Like, you should be able to hear your own voice. If you're standing directly next to someone and they can't hear you, crank it up a couple of notches. It's going to be way more fun. Do you know how fun the doxology is when people sing? Do you know how lame the doxology is when it's just up, us up here? Turn it up about 30%. Sing loudly. Second, sing to the Lord. Be aware of the one to whom you're singing. Enjoy God's presence as you do it. Sing loudly and sing to the Lord. Third, and this is thinking about your mind, your intellect, sing with faith. You're going to sing things that sometimes you're struggling to believe, but in the act of singing, let it be a prayer. I want to believe. Help me in my unbelief. Sing with faith, even and especially when you're struggling to believe. Fourth, sing with 
passion. Help me to feel in my heart, Lord, the things that I'm singing that I recognize in my intellect. Fifth, sing as part of the church and with the church. You're not coming as a soloist, so don't be too worried about your voice. Add your voice plus 30%. And join it up with the church and listen to the whole church singing. Sing with the church. Sixth, sing with your body. Lift your hands. Uh, like kneel. It's okay. Kneel. Clap. Like, come on, loosen up. <laughs> Don't worry so much about all the other people. Enjoy, delight in God's presence with your whole person, with your elevated voice, with your body that's engaged. You can even talk to me when I'm preaching. Did you know you could do that? You can say amen, you can say that's good, you can say I don't understand, could you explain more? I might get that a lot. <laughs> but engage with your body and then finally sing to defy the darkness. Man, life is depressing. There are reasons to be discouraged and yet this is not the end of our story. And so we need to sing to defy the darkness to remind one another and ourselves this is not the end. Christ will return in final victory. The earth itself is going to be renewed. These bodies of ours that are prone to decay will be resurrected and clothed in immortality. Jesus wins. All shall be made well. The world is made to feel worthless, like a bad place to live, and yet when we worship, we inject worth back into it. N.T. Wright said, we live in an age of cynics where worth means price and price means money and money means power. But the gospel of Jesus Christ puts worth back into the world. Worth beyond price, worth beyond worldly power. For the gospel of Jesus Christ summons us to worship to worship, to lay our lives before the one true and living God, to worship Him for all He's worth. So give to this great and loving God the honor, the worship, the love due to Him. Celebrate the goodness, the worth, the true value of the created order as His gift, His handiwork, and allow that celebration to lift your eyes, to lift your eyes once more to God himself, to his glory and his beauty. Church, we need to sing together. We need to sing to win over our own hearts and minds. We need to sing together to plant affection for the Lord Jesus in the hearts of our children. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth and say among the nations, the Lord reigns. We're so grateful you listened to this week's sermon at Cornerstone. If you live in the Tulsa area, we'd love to invite you to be a part of our worship and community in person. You can find service times and more information at our website. But wherever you are, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you peace.